We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is the True Faith Podcast. I'm Roman Reilly, and I'm hosting what's sure to be a joyous podcast given that Newcastle United defeated Jordan, Huffy 13-year-old Pickford's Everton side 3-2, in an epic game at St James's Park yesterday. I'm delighted to be joined by Michael Collin, Chris Shipman. Just a quick word on Chris. Hello. He's a Newcastle United fan with just a quick word on you, Chris. Um Chris is a Newcastle United fan with no connection to the region. And uh, shock horror, he's part of True Faith. Yes, we welcome Newcastle United fans from anywhere in the world and from whatever background to produce content for us. Uh, before we get down to this podcast, um it is in association with fans bet. We choose to work with FansBet as a unique gaming company who give 50% of the net profits back to fan causes. If you like a bet, then check them out. If you don't like a bet, then don't start. Uh, you'll all know by now that you'll get an extra six Newcastle United podcasts this week if you sign up or appearing. Everything from immediate post-match reaction to match previews, retro shows, Prem Pata, my own personal favourite, and much more. It's uh, what keeps this show going, so if you like what you hear, then we'd love to have you. Read the lads. Shall we uh, get the rave on? Hey. <laughs> um... Mickey, I'm going to come to you first, mate. Um, just tell me, what was the uh, what was the groom like? Um, what was the tune like after the result? How happy were you and others? Um, what did you get up to? Um, were you reminded just how how good this club can be when you know when we hit those heights? Well, that's that's exactly it, mate. That's you know you kind of made my point point for us there. After the match was fucking brilliant. Everyone was buzzing. I think I spent the last the last five minutes in the ground um, just singing on my own. We're stopping out, <laughs> which we did for a little while, but then I had to go home because I was too pissed. Um, get too old to behave like that for a whole day. But everyone, like everyone, was buzzing. So we went to we went to the Labour Club, which is just around the corner from the ground. Anyone that's not been, it's a cracking, like proper old school working men's club. You know, everyone queues for a pint. Um, you're only paying cash. Like proper, proper old school Newcastle place, and it was buzzing. Normally, in a place that's reasonably quiet, it was like buzzing. People were singing. There was karaoke in the next room, and everyone like everyone was joining in with the songs from our room. Uh, just it's one of those days where you just realise how brilliant a place Newcastle is. Like when it's when everyone's up a height, and everyone was like up at the highest height to to the extent I've not seen for ages. You know, we'll talk about the performance later on, and it's. It's probably not our best performance of the season, but in terms of just like pure joy, there's now like coming back from behind, and we haven't done it in that kind of fashion for so long. And there was there was other things which again we'll talk about as we as we go through this pod that made it just extra special. Like it was one of the great like feelings after the match. 
Mate, that is that is music to me, Yaz, and uh, obviously it just reinforces um, how devastated I am that I wasn't there. Um, just another another fantastic choice by me, um, <laughs> Man City. Man City this season, Chelsea, uh, Chelsea, Arsenal, um, Man United last season. So basically, I'm never going to go to a match at St James Park again because we always get good results when I don't. Um, I don't Chris, think I don't think we can have you, man. As much as I love you, I know, I know, no, no, I'm, I'm done. I'm done now. Um, this is it. I'm retiring after this, Chris. Um, any anything you'd add to that, mate? Because obviously you you stayed overnight. You you went up um you you went up uh, from London, stayed overnight. You stayed at um, Casa Hurst, I believe. I did. Um, so I'm, I'm expecting your review and trip advisor soon. I've heard that it's a bit uh, a bit shit to be honest with you. <laughs> but um, how did you how did you get on? Yeah, I mean there was no complimentary chocolates on the pillow, which is a bit disappointing. Um, but aside from, aside from that, the day was fantastic. So I started really early at King's Cross, uh, chronicled my experience on the Match Day podcast. Uh, so if you're a patron, you can check that out. Um, met up with uh, Mickey, the other guys, uh, Craig, a friend from Australia, uh, who was over for the match. Um, yeah, it was it was absolutely fantastic. Uh, managed to capture a couple of goals on the po- on the Match Day podcast. Um, but as Mickey says, it was I think one of the great days at St James's Park. Uh, I don't kind of. I don't unfortunately get to as many home games as I might like to and get to you know quite a lot of away games obviously with you um, but yeah it was kind of a real advert for particularly the second half an advert for an experience there it's one of the, it's one of those matches that um, being being a, a fan who um, has to travel to the home games myself like you it's always a, it's always potluck isn't it you know you, you, you travel from wherever it is that you go from and if you lose the journey back, it's absolutely like hell on earth. But when you win, it just none of it, none of it matters. I mean, you could you could get like a five-hour delay on your train today, and it wouldn't really matter because when you've won, you just it just change, it just changes your whole outlook. And obviously, um, as as Mickey said as well, like in the city, the feeling's just the feeling's just magnificent. Um, and especially as you said, Mick, after after being two goals down, I mean, I think the last time we we were two goals down, and came back to win in a league match in the Premier League. I think it was Fulham under Bobby Robson away um, in two thousand and three. If I'm wrong, then. Then somebody correct me. It was was it the? I mean that's that's a while ago. And I was I was back in my prime then. Um, right, we'll move on to the second question. Christopher, five home league wins in a row. This was a team who couldn't win at home um, at the start of the season. How have we got here? What's changed? And was there any belief at two 0 down we'd get back in? What was it that Rafa did to to sort that out? Yeah, I think what, what's changed I think in one word you mentioned the word belief and I think it's that I mean I think we've had a steady build of confidence in the side and to get this fifth home win in a row you know is absolutely uh, brilliant and indicative of a, of a side that believe in themselves and believe in each other um, I think you know obviously fans wise particularly in the first half and as discussed on the match day podcast I don't necessarily think there was that belief among uh, the fan base uh, in the stands that we would get back into it but you know fortunately for us uh, that team uh, have more uh, connection and belief uh, with each other and confidence in each other than, than maybe we, we did um, in terms of uh, what happened at half time uh, formation change necessitated by uh, Lascelles being injured and Dummett coming on who uh, had had an absolutely fantastic game I thought when he came on to the captain's armband uh, and switching to four at the back so playing four two 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 um, and, and going a bit more direct uh, as as well. So I think a combination of belief and, and a strategic change to um, you know to try and kind of uh, play over the top and through Everton, uh, which was really uh, successful, obviously. Michael, your interpretation. The uh, it's you know it's difficult to put your finger on because you know, something feels very different amongst the players. Um, now to what it, what it was at the start of the season and it's 
it's transformed into the crowd as well. And I, I, you know, to talk about the talk about the players first. I don't know what it is. There's something there's something special about about this group of lads, and it seems to have just clicked over the last five games. Something, something's clicked. Raf has done something, and it's it's turned what was a tight knit group of lads that were trying their best and and just not quite getting there really at home at the start of the season. It's it's just turned that slight corner, and we're getting the results and the and the like top class performances that we know. Rafa Benitez and Newcastle are, are capable of. I, I don't. I don't know what it is. I'd love to know. I, you know, it would be it'd be great if I could tell the parents and the, and the podcast listeners what it was. But only Rafa Benitez knows like, it, the magical way that his mind works and what he's what he's done. Yeah, and um, as we know, Rafa's sides finished season strongly, and so there is kind of something in the water about you know this this point in the season where he does turn it on, and I think just get, kind of tends to get a sweet spot out of the team in terms of belief fitness application um, and yeah a, a joy to behold what it is what it is there what, the, it's always the same once Rafa's had time with the players and once he's got stuck in he's got his teeth into the squad they get better because he's fucking brilliant at what he does and we see it it's no more clear than after international breaks after every international break when Newcastle have had a couple of weeks with the players all working with Rafa because not many of us, not many of our team play in at full international which is great for, for Newcastle really um we're, we're always fucking class and we're always that step ahead of everyone else and it's because Rafa's so good at working with the players and when he gets time with them he creates something which, which is as we always say better than the sum of its parts um, in terms of thinking we could get something out of the game Norman I heard during the week I heard Paul say on as it was when it was that we were going to win 3-0 and as soon as I heard him say it I was like he's fucking right we are. we're going to win 3-0 and I kept saying it for the rest of the week I kept saying we're going to win 3-0 we're going to win 3-0 half time I turned and said to my dad if we get one early doors here, we'll beat them. Honestly, I swear to God, I did. I'm not like I've written it in my match report, which I wrote when I was fucking mortal last night. I haven't read it back yet, so uh, sorry if it's rubbish. But <laughs> I was too excited not to do it. Um, and I said again when we scored the first one, I was like, "We've got them here. We, we scored before ten minutes ago, and we've got them here. They don't want to. Everton didn't want to know. And once we got the once we got the second, we're always going to win. And I, I think I think the lads knew that as well. Well, I think that uh, exactly that, that's that's what I was going to say. I think. There's a combination of the two things. Obviously, Everton's confidence has been rather brittle this season, and and um, what now seems to be the hallmarks of a typical Marco Silva side. They concede a goal and they just look tactically lost. And I think we saw that yesterday. We pulled the goal back, so you had the kind of um, the Everton lack of self belief, the Everton um, sort of tactical narrowness, and then you had the belief, the absolute belief coursing through the veins of those Newcastle United players. And that's testament, obviously, brilliant coaching, brilliant management. But the players themselves, these are players who genuinely believe in that own ability, which is fantastic. But look, people like Rondon and Army Ron, um, I don't doubt for a second that they have always had the self-belief, you know, that they've known how good they actually are. Um, but when it comes to players like, um, let's say, Paul Dummett, let's say, Ayose Perez, let's say, Matt Ritchie, of course, of course, they'll have confidence in themselves. But the confidence that they've got now, I think, is just absolutely massive. And and that's, it's, it's, it's that kind of... That, that absolute belief and conviction that you can win this match, that, that saw Sue yesterday, and I, and I just thought, I thought it was magnificent. I mean, it, it's, just, it's just brilliant to see um, your team go a couple of goals down and then have the fight, the desire and the talent to, to pull it back and win 3-2. It was there for me. It was just, it was up there with the Man City result this season in terms of how much absolute pleasure I got out of it. It was, it was brilliant. Um, for sure. You're right, Norman, the, as well. It is like... We wanted it far more than them in the second half yesterday, and couple like couple with just playing much better, wanting it more is so important, and it, it it's 
it fills you in it with pride when you see your team desperate to win the game uh, to a massive extent more than the other the other side whoever it is and that that was so apparent yesterday and it's, it's fucking you, class do you think um, I'll put this to you Chris and then make, uh, make you jump in afterwards do you think that the non-sending off of Pickford which let, let me just go on record and say fucking hell that was ridiculous I mean the the, the tackle that Pickford committed and then and then for his tiny little you know red in the face 13 year old puppy fat carrying teenager body to jump up from the floor and shout at Mason I went for the ball I went for the ball he didn't go for the ball he went for the balls his hands were basically smacking into Rondon's bollocks so he went for the balls not the ball and and I tell you what like how it, it retrospective punishment I mean you know what it is we've had this discussion before some of us are pro VAR some of us are against some of us are kind of you know caught between the two worlds I wish VAR had been there yesterday in a way um, but obviously, you know, with hindsight, it's great that he stayed on because he was utter shite um, afterwards and he contributed significantly to the win. But did that. So sometimes there'll be like a tackle from an opposition player or an in- a sense of injustice that kind of rails the crowd and rails the players. And yes, I know we went a goal, we went another goal, so two goals down within sort of 70 seconds of Richie's pen miss. But do you think the kind of sense of injustice engendered from that carried on throughout the match? Yeah, I think there was that sense of injustice. And then that combined with the fact that Richie unfortunately fluffed the opportunity to to get the the equaliser at that point you know that that combination there of those factors and therefore the squad having to kind of take a look look at themselves come out and and you know actively you know pick the game by the scruff of the neck and you know really kind of go for it um yeah it's definitely a a factor there i think and you know the the fans (laughs) let pickford know exactly what they thought of him you know all through the match um which is which is wonderful I'm was not- it, oh, was it? Sorry, I was just going to say it was. It was lovely when um, when Rondon hit that chance past the post in the second half, and Pickford turned to the crowd and kind of did like a little dance towards the ball and stuck his tongue out. It was fucking just. It was. I tell you, it was brilliant watching that match of the day because I knew when I saw it what was coming, and it was just this this beautiful feeling. I mean, and, and for me, like when I love being at those matches where that sense of injustice like just hits the crowd all of a sudden. You're like, fuck this, we are getting behind the team, yeah, like. Yeah, there was also a wonderful uh, clip that I've seen on Twitter this morning of Jordan Pickford coming off at the end of the match and, you know, his face absolutely ashen and just kind of this weird twitch happening on his face. Um, so, his whole neck. <laughs> yeah, it was a, a beautiful thing. I'm gonna, Sorry, Mickey, I interrupted you. There, go on. Yeah, I'm going to disagree uh, slightly in a way. I thought, you know, the, the injustice of, of not getting the red card, like, became palpable in the second half. But that injustice was kind of quashed a bit by the fact that Richie fucked the pen, and it didn't it didn't immediately rile the crowd up, and it took a little while. It took until after half time, I think, until everyone had had chance to sort of stop watching the game and talk to the mates and think, fucking like what what the fuck was that? Like he's he's literally just rugby tackled him, and everyone you know, there was lots of conversations going on around me at half time that, that was like, what's the crack here? Does he have to get sent off? And nobody really knew. I just kept saying to them, like, I oh, has to get fucking sent off. Like, the double jeopardy rule, as far as I understand it, means that the ref doesn't have to send them off. But if independently it's a red card challenge, then it, then he absolutely has to send them off. And how you could ever say that, that that ridiculous fucking diving rugby tackle is not a red card is, is beyond me. But there you go, and it doesn't matter. And as you say, Norman, it, it helped us in the end. But I didn't see the injustice, like, rile the fan base up until after half-time, and it was when... Pickford came out and came towards the Gallagher in the second half you knew then that people were fucking annoyed and everyone was griefing him and it it just worked perfectly because he got really annoyed and and like it was it was so unprofessional of him to behave in the way that he did um 
And if I was an Everton fan, I'd be kicking off because he let the Newcastle fans get to him and it's, it's cost them the game. Well, that's it. That's it. I tell you what, Jordan, I know that you listen to this podcast, obviously. Um, or send them so Football Club if you can pass the message on. Yeah. Yeah. But there you go. So I've got a message for you. Son, if you can't stand the heat, get out the fucking kitchen. Um, <laughs> right. Uh, well, speaking of um, speaking of the, the kind of. Uh, you, you mentioned it, Mickey, how, how Rafa um, just improves these players. You know, we, we've gone about this for ever since Rafa took over the club. The, the improvement that he. That he, that, he, that he has on people's games just just by being there and, and telling them what it is they need to work on. Um, now we're going to go on to Ayuse Perez. And interestingly enough, when when Rafa was at um, Valencia when he first took at Valencia, he'd been at Tenerife I think before that, and he took a player from Tenerife with him called uh, Mister. I don't know if you remember him. Um, he, 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 he ended up winning the title twice, Valencia, getting capped for Spain. And Mister was kind of a you know again a, a lower division player from Tenerife. And I'm, I'm looking at how we saw. Obviously, when, when Perez arrived at the club, the raw talent that he possessed, um, he just didn't have the right coaching. And now he's getting the right coaching. And Mickey, I don't know, mate, for me, Perez is, I think he's a wonderful, wonderful footballer who always constantly wants to improve and, and is improving. And I think the grief that he's had um, over the course of the last couple of seasons on people has been utterly unjustified. We've all you know, defended him on many occasions, but I just want your take on, on Ayo's performance yesterday and overall as, as a part of this squad. Uh, his performance yesterday was was magnificent. Even in the first half, um, his his work rate was excellent. He was probably the one player that kind of comes out of that first half with a bit of credit. Now it's easy it's easy to say that at this point because he was so brilliant in the second half. But I did genuinely think at half time like Perez is doing our here. The rest of them are, are struggling a bit, but Perez is having a good game. And I think there was one moment in the second half that I think sums up Jose Perez's time at Newcastle and how and how Rafa has worked on him and he's worked on himself. To improve things that he that he maybe didn't do so well, and he had a, a spell. What well, seemed like about five minutes. Obviously, it was it was nowhere near. It was you know eight seconds where he just held off about about five of their players in the middle of the park, just using his like using his his, his body weight and his his low center of gravity to to force people away from him. He just kept hold of the ball, and I just thought then like that's the that's the thing that Perez was worst at when he first arrived, and has has kind of seemingly struggled a bit and what he gets criticised most for in the time since and he's he's clearly worked on it so much and that point yesterday where he held those players off and they were all bigger than him all stronger than him and I just thought then like fucking hell he's got it yeah like that's the thing he needed and I think we'll now see Perez go from strength to strength but that that performance in the second half from him is was sensational one of the one of the best individual performances I've seen in St James for a long long time that's that's music. That's music to me, yeah, mate. Um, Chris, you you talk about Perez because I'm probably going to say a couple of minutes just because I like talking about him and, I, and I've obviously got this. I've clearly got this weird fixation with him. Um, the, to the to the extent where if I had the time, I'd probably end up being a stalker. So you know, <laughs> well, 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 that that's my issue to deal with. So you you go, on, mate. Yeah, I mean, I, I think you know he's he's fantastic. You know, I, I really like him. Maybe not to stalking status, but I think he's fantastic. And you know, he's been here for five years now, one point five million. Uh, from the Spanish second division, as you've mentioned many a time, you know, rightly so, thirty-six goals for the club, and yeah, his strike rate isn't isn't up there with with the best. But in terms of contributions for what we paid for him, you know, he has repaid this club time and time again, and long may that continue. Um, I think he's a fantastic instinctive player, and you know, he grafts and uh, he gets in really good positions. And I think that was really exemplified yesterday for the goals that he was just in the right place at the right time and to capitalize on Jordan Pickford's mental uh, inadequacies um you know spilling shots um you know just poor positioning 
um, and fantastic. And not just the goals yesterday, it was also, you know, winning turn provider, um, that chip for Ron Nunn's goal was beautiful and so delicately, uh, you know, uh, touched uh, to, to Rondon. It was a real kind of calmness under pressure. Um, it, it was a it was a fantastic performance. I said in my um, match report yesterday, anyone that uh, is interested in football commentary will know about a guy called Ray Hudson. And most Newcastle fans will probably have, will have heard of him anyway. Um, but he's, a, he's like a ridiculous commentator that commentates mostly on Spanish football um, for, for US TV. And he describes... One, he used to love Raquel May to, to an almost ridiculous extent. Worse than you with Perez, I think, Norman. I, I imagine he was literally camping out outside Raquel May's house for the last 30 years, <laughs> just checking what he's doing. But he used to describe... What a player. What a player. Oh, brilliant. Brilliant footballer. But he used to describe some of Raquel May's assist as putting it on a silver altar, which is a weird turn of <laughs> phrase. And that's how I described it in my match report yesterday. Like, Perez played the perfect pass. The perfect pass to Rondon. Like, Rondon basically... I don't know, he had a lot of... He had a lot to do with the finish, but there's Perez couldn't have done that any better in any possible way. And like Chris is right, it was under pressure as well. It was magnificent. Like it really well, shows real you, ability, doesn't it? Absolutely. And I tell you what, like I mean, you know, we, we Chris, you mentioned his goals record there. Now he's got he's got overall for the club. He's got 42 and 184 appearances. Um, now that works out about sort of one every. I mean, I'm not even saying about. It works out at one every 4.3 games because um, I, I did it on I did it on my calculator before. Um, <laughs> but. Um, so this is a kid who isn't a centre forward. He's not a centre forward. He was never signed. He was never centre forward. When he signed, he scored 16 goals for Tenerife and got Player of the Year in, in um, Liga uh, Liga Two. That's not the a player a player of the year who, who plays up front and gets 16 goals. That's that's not that wouldn't be very usual. It's because he plays in a kind of number 10 uh, attacking midfielder role. That's his position. Now since he started in Newcastle, he came off as a young kid from Tenerife. He had first of all he was coached by Alan Pardew, John Carver, and Steve Stone. I mean, dear me, right? And then. <laughs> He goes. Then he's coached by John Carver and Steve Stone. Um, you know, it is not against Steve Stone's coaching ability. He's actually yeah, he was just part of the, the, the club at the time. But I, I suppose on you look at what what these people have gone on to since we're at Newcastle, and not I don't think any of them are um, coaching at the moment. Um, and then and then Funny Steve that, McLaren, and then, and then and then and then Steve McLaren, and you're thinking, well, he didn't really have the best start of his career in England, did he? Yeah, and he was and he was put on the side earlier than, than people anticipated when he was signed and he still played well in certain games he still showed flashes of brilliance we, we saw that his he's goals for Newcastle if you actually go through each, indiv- each individual goal which um, somebody has that, you know that's me um, obviously and basically <laughs> um, basically they're, they're, they're so important there's only been like out of those 42 goals about 5 of them that were like consolation goals in a defeat um, so he's he's kind of I would say his big game um, mentality is there, you know, towards the end of last season, if you think he really came into form at a time when he was needed. Um, his, his touch is fantastic, his movement's excellent. Um, and Chris, you mentioned his positioning. Now, he can be his offside as much as he wants, as long as the goals keep counting. I mean, that was brilliant yesterday. What a, <laughs> five, what a, what a great way to get a win. Five players offside, get up. Um, but I, I'm just... Uh, I'm just, a, I'm just a big fan of a kid who signed for one and a half million from the Spanish second division, doing what he's done, and I think, you know, he's going to, he's going to get into fifty odd goals for the club. That's not, that's not bad, Gannon Lee. Not bad, Gannon. Um, anyway, we'll move on because obviously I'm, I'm descending into a one man um, IUSA Perez fan club show here. So, um, <laughs> lads, Perez um, is going to be getting extra security outside his house after this, isn't he? Nah, Terrifi- he right. Terrifying um, of Norman and his, his, his stalking camp, him and Ray Hudson, yeah. Norman and Ray Hudson. <laughs> um, I just love him so much. Um, Reed, um, Mickey, other notable performances. Um, just, just like, give me, give me a couple of players who, who really stood out for you and uh, and why. All right, well, quick, I quickly want to 
talk first about John Joe Shelby. So on me inside it, and I keep plugging our podcast, which is what we're supposed to do. So uh, me inside did a show about the midfield two during the week, and I said towards the end of that show, I wouldn't be surprised if Shelby left at the end of the season. And I, I gave a whole host of reasons, and I just feel like such a fucking idiot now because Shelby came on and looked absolutely brilliant. Brilliant yesterday, um, and I would be fucking gutted if he left. It's easy. Was it all so fickle, and it's e- almost easy to forget when someone's not in the picture what they, what they used to contribute. And I'd, I'd forgotten the ability that Chelsea had when he was on his game, and and yesterday he came on and, and showed it again. And I'm fucking delighted for him, and I, I hope he I hope he stays because um, he he has a a wand of a right foot that would be not out of, on his day, not out of place in any team. I think in the league almost. Um, so I thought he I thought he came on and was was absolutely brilliant. I thought Matt Ritchie worked very, very, very hard in two different positions. Um, he's he's the kind of prime suspect to come off, especially when we're chasing the game because he doesn't have much pace. Um, but I thought I thought he did really well, and I imagine he's getting pretty frustrated at coming off near enough every game when he's when he's in an attacking position, which is where he's supposed to play. But he he puts everything in for Newcastle, and uh, his his contribution shouldn't go unnoticed. But um, I thought the link up yesterday between the front three Almiron was a bit quieter than the other two but especially Rondon and Perez was was brilliant and the, you know the, the 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 combined cost to Newcastle United of those two players is is almost a farce in modern day football and um it, it's 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 ludicrous that we're get, we're getting the output from them that we that we are concerned how much the cost is and it's a testament to uh Rafa again but I thought Rondon was was sensational. It's the intelligence, isn't it? The 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 intelligence, the, the kind of natural football and intelligence that that Rondon's got um, for him, Perez and Armiron in such a short space of time to be able to link up. I mean that goal, the the um, was it the yeah it was the, the Rondon goal yesterday. It was it, it was utterly ridiculous when you think it was those two against five players. Yeah, Perez win, players. Perez win the header against the two centre as well. Forget about that because but, but, the rest yeah. of it was so good. But how has he done that? <laughs> It's anticipating. It's anticipating. It's anticipating. It, it, it ties in, in, in my opinion. I don't know if you if you agree uh, with this, Chris. Maybe, but we'll talk about Perez's ability to find space or to, to kind of predict where the ball's going to go to put the ball in the back of the net. Winning this header, it was almost a, it was almost similar. The the ability to anticipate where the where the direction of the ball. So he stood in a place where he knew he would be able to beat Keane and um, was it Zuma in the air, perhaps? Yeah. Yeah, it was. Yeah, I think it was. Yeah. Hi. It was incredible. I mean, um, anyone, anyone, anyone stand out for you, Chris? Other than uh, who's Mickey's mentioned? I think um, aside from from those players, I mean, obviously we've talked a lot about Sean Longstaff of late, rightly so. Uh, you know, as a great academy product that's come through and really taken his chance. Um, obviously, we haven't seen much of Paul Dummett recently, but I think he reminded us yesterday of his tremendous value to the squad. You know, coming on at half time, uh, you know, he hasn't been playing of late coming on taking the captain's armband and 2-0 down and you know he really he drove that performance in a very unassuming kind of quiet um, but you know with conviction uh, manner and I thought he was fantastic uh, not just galvanising the team but uh, kind of you know um, marshalling that defence that was playing in a new shape in the second half and just a shout out to Paul Dummett and his fantastic bleach blonde hair yeah the red hair because absolutely it's ridiculous. not blonde it's not blonde it's silver man it's silver <laughs> it's like um, it's like you know, it's, honestly it's the same colour as the silver surfer like, it's the same colour as that it's, he's fanta- it's, it's fantastic he, he's definitely somewhere in the Marvel universe for that haircut do you think it was a dare? Yeah, 
I'd love to ask um, him. Oh, that's quite, it, it's quite rude if it's not a dare, though. But it, I wonder <laughs> if it was a dare. Well, like a train, training ground, training ground, training ground. Um, high, high jips. Is that what you're referring I, to? I, re- you? I reckon he's missed uh, a really easy chance of something in training. They've just been like, Paul, sorry, Paul, but you need to dye your hair, silver. <laughs> I think he's. I um, think he's. Um, I think he's heard of the Romanian '98 squad and kind of said to his teammates, "Come on, guys, let's all bleach our hair." Turned <laughs> up and no one else has done it. <laughs> um, question for you, gents. Um, given the couple of wobbles that he had, um, and then obviously the subsequent two clean sheets against Huddersfield and Burnley, um, what? How was Dubravka yesterday? I mean, there was. I, I, I was. I look. I'll have to say it, that. The second goal, that's a classic goalkeeper mistake to like parry the ball out, I think. Um but all keepers do it. I just wanted to know his his overall contribution to the to the game. How was he? Uh well I thought Depravka was uh was solid yesterday and I think he's he's proved his critics the fact that there was any critics is is Aye. fucking ridiculous. But sums up the United fan base really that there's there's people out there that are just absolutely nuts. Um I thought Dubravka was solid yesterday. Some people might think he could have done better with that second goal, but really, I mean, someone's absolutely drilled it across the box, and he has mm-hmm. to get something on it. If he doesn't get something on it, he looks like an idiot if it goes in. He's got something on it, and unfortunately, the attackers reacted quicker than the defender and put it in. I'm not going to give him any criticism for that. And the first goal, the defending overall was was dog shit. Like terrible to let him have a free header there, but he's put it right in the right in the corner. He's Dubravka's never getting that. No keeper in the world saves that. But- That'll do, that'll do, that'll do for me, mate. Chris, um, I'm going to move on to the next question, mate. Um, context of the win. Obviously, we saw Cardiff win, we saw Southampton win. Brighton, to a certain extent, winning. Um, you, could, you could even bring into it. Um, why do you think that we always deliver when it matters? Because um, obviously, we know, you know, a defeat would have been, it would have been, a, I wouldn't say disastrous, because it would have maybe been disastrous, you know, for like 24 hours on social media, but it wouldn't have been disastrous. It would have just been an annoyance because it would have dug up it would have put us back in a hole that we seemingly dug ourselves out of but um, we delivered again what 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 do you think it is and, and how important was that win yesterday I, yeah I, th- I would agree with you I don't think it would have been disastrous but I think it was definitely we all saw it as an opportunity to get at least a point if not all three um, given that we have some really tough tough games coming up including possibly three away games back to back given that the Palace game might be being moved but again, kind of testament to the desire of the team, and then also kind of Rafa really just kind of hitting hitting a stride towards the back end of the season. I think what I would say about the, the relegation picture, and I'm sure we'll discuss this more on separate podcasts and um, through the next few weeks. But I think while we didn't gain any more ground than the teams below us, or at least down to um, the the relegation line, um, you know, we we aren't losing any either and I think we are we are the rising with the tide um, people were talking a few weeks ago about um, you know 34 points being safe and I think when you know we're not quite safe but we are just about there I think that will rise a few more points um, but we are rising with that and other teams the teams below us are running out of time uh, to to get those wins uh, as well so yeah I mean I'm kind of feeling very positive at this point in time um, yeah. but yeah R- Rafa and the team hitting their stride it's job done. Yeah, it would be, it's very, job, it's be yeah, exactly, exactly. Go, I go. I was going to say go. On, you, you answer, Mickey. But um, I was going to say we're, we're basically going to get six points in eight games. I mean, if we don't get that, then someone's gone massively awry. But um, I, Mickey, your your kind of response to that question? I think we're safe now. Even if we didn't get another point the rest of the season, I think it would be enough. Um, Cardiff won't make up that many points on us in the games that they've got left. They've got some really tough games. Um, 
I think that's it. I think that's what that's what we needed, and it makes such a. We always say this. It makes such a statement of the other teams. Like Southampton will have been fucking buzzing coming off the pitch. Cardiff would have been buzzing coming off the pitch at half time. They probably heard both of them. Uh, although oh, Southampton yeah. were losing at that point. Cardiff certainly would have heard Newcastle getting beat two 0 at home. Um, but this is massive. It's a six point. You know, it's a six point turnover, turn round or whatever, whatever the word would be. And then they come off the pitch to find out that Newcastle have scored three goals in the second half and won. Like they'll be absolutely gutted, gutted. And that's that's important to people and underplay the value of that. Like their players will be thinking that they probably that's the chance gone, and it, and it is. It's job done. Psychological warfare, mate, isn't it? It's the, it's the psychological warfare. Um, I absolutely agree with you. I mean, um, I ten sort of five minutes left in the Cardiff match. Those players on the pitch, they're two goals up. The last they heard that Newcastle United were losing 2-0. You know, they're going to finish the match at the end of the game, milk the applause from the crowd, get that kind of, get in, lads, we're back in it, we're back in it, we're back in it. And then to have seen that Newcastle come back, it's, yeah, it, it's, it's, it's strength, it strengthens, um, I suppose, um, any belief that they might have that they're doomed, you know, they might think, oh, God, you know what I mean? And uh, I, I think I think that's a really important point. Um, lads, we'll, we'll, move, we'll move on then to pretty much, um, I would say, perhaps the last question. Um Side, the side versus Bournemouth. Now, let's look at yesterday. Had to change the formation half-time, he did. Lascelles was withdrawn. I'm not sure if that was... Um, I mean, it was tactical in the sense that he went to a flat-back four. Was Lascelles withdrawn with any niggle, or was it just because he didn't need that kind of centre-half on against Everton and he needed the two the two ball-playing centre-halves? I'll let you two take that on. But, um, but um, I mean, I love I love the idea of Shane Lejeune at the at the back in certain games, just because they are silky footballers, you know. Um, but obviously, I think Lascelles' overall importance to, to to do the dirty work and for his leadership is vital. So, um, give me this one, lads. What formation do you want to see versus Bournemouth? Who do you want to see in the side, and why? Yeah, Chris, you start. Yeah, I think there is some uh, thinking to be done by Rafa about this because uh, you know we hope that. Um Lascelles is back apparently it's a mild injury he requested to play on and Rafa I think as a precaution withdrew him so there's a kind of niggling injury there um, hopefully he'll be back um, but if he's not that's potentially a problem and that issue might be compounded by um, Cher's suspension he picks up another booking here so he's suspended for two games he's going to be out for um, the Bournemouth game and then the Arsenal game um, so you know while we're very well stocked at centre back um, with kind of Kieran Clark having disappeared off the radar as well um, there is something to think about there uh, so I think given that I think in terms of formation we're probably going to be looking at four at the back against Bournemouth possibly 4-2-2-2 um, as we finish this game here um, you'd hope that Lascelles will be back you know Lejeune is a kind of you know an easy and obvious kind of starter there um, you know I'd like to see Dummett start again you know he was he was really solid as I said a few minutes ago um, and then the rest of the side I think um, you got Richie Shelby Hayden Almiron for me um, in midfield although kind of two banks of two and then Richie uh, sorry Perez and Rondon um, up front the way that they're combining at the moment you know it's a, it's a no-brainer Mickey uh, it's a difficult spot, isn't it? I didn't, you know, I, my dad was absolutely kicking off with um, with Shea yesterday when he got booked, and I hadn't, I hadn't put two and two together. And I remembered that he was on nine booking, so that's that's, a, that's an annoying way to get booked uh, in cost in cost two games. But such such is life. Uh, the 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 lack of having Shea and Lejeune in the in the three or five at the back um, does change. It does change the way that system works quite a bit for us because the. 
the major attacking benefit of that is the, the ability of those two from either side of the three to play the diagonal balls into the fullbacks. And this would have been a really well, good game for, for that to work. Sorry, go on. Well, let me, let, let me jump in here, right? So let's see. Well, Shea's out. So Lascelles comes in. Now, given that Shea's out, does this make the case for Shelby starting um, stronger? Because obviously, you're kind of replacing that, that player who's, who was able to create things from a very deep position um, with with another player who can do that and who can actually offer more, obviously, offensively. Um, and obviously, Shelby coming in would probably mean key dropping down the bench as well. That's, that's I suppose, for me, that towards the end of this week, that's what I'm going to be thinking about more than anything else is do we get John Joe Shelby back in the side for this match away to Bournemouth? Yeah, I think he um, he will be the solution to, to that if that's the way it goes. Now, people have forgotten just how good Federico Fernandez was for us at the start of the season. Um, he was a, an absolute stalwart mm-hmm. at the centre of the pitch and was was brilliant defensively, but he doesn't quite offer us the same distribution level as, um, as, as we say, um, Chair and Lejeune. So... I suspect actually we will see four at the back um, and I don't think it's what Rafa would want to do in an ideal world but without without chair there the, the system the system doesn't work from an attacking sense so I, I think we will see four at the back and I think it'll be Lejeune and um, Lascelles hopefully if he's fit uh, and Dominant on the left Shelby, Shelby alongside um, alongside Key or, or alongside Hayden because for me at the moment Hayden's utterly undroppable Shelby alongside Hayden, yeah, it has to be. You can't, you can't, you can't drop him. He, you know, he didn't get a mention when we were talking about individual performances early on, but he was excellent again. He just did, did his work that he needed to do really well and never lost the ball. Um, and another solid game, Chris. Yeah, I think also um, after this, after the second goal, the players understandably celebrating, going absolutely wild yeah. uh, in front of the stand. Um, Hayden, you know. Patting his teammates on the back, but then saying, "Right, okay, we're going to go for the win here," and just that kind of desire and graft from a player that supposedly wants out, an absolute measure professional, and you know, I cannot fault him, and I would be very happy to see him in the starting lineup against Bournemouth. Couldn't couldn't agree, couldn't agree more with you on that, mate. I think I pointed this out yesterday when we were chatting um, that what what he's done is and what he started doing is as well. He's starting to show that the natural leadership qualities. I think he is, is a natural leader. And I think he showed that in the championship, despite the fact he was, what, 21, 22. And obviously he's had this kind of wobble where he's wanted to leave for family reasons. But he's, it's, almost, it's almost like he's, he's matured again and he's, he's become such a vital part of the side. And that, for me, yesterday, you're right, that, that moment where he ran over and said, yeah, well done, lads, but, you know, we haven't won yet, and dragged them back to get the winner, I thought was just fantastic and, and indicative of a player who, who I think has got a very good career in the game due to, his, due to his own application whether it's at the highest level or not who knows but he's, he's just there's something there's something very likeable about him when he's you know when his head's in the right place I um, really 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 don't want him to leave no no, um, no. I understand if he does you know reading, reading an article like George Corkin's article I'm sure it was him I'm not too, not, not absolutely certain um, about his you know his family issues and, and why he wants to leave it would be completely understandable if he does and you know, I, would, I would hold no malice towards him whatsoever for that but I fucking hope he doesn't I hope he can work something out that, that he can stay and play for Newcastle but still have the, you know, the, the, the best life for his, um, his partner and child so fingers crossed <laughs> we'll see you next season mate because you've been fucking tremendous Absolutely um, Gents I'll throw it out to you one more time any any concluding comments you'd like to offer before, uh, before we wrap up? Let's just tell you quickly about my experience of the, of the, the goal so me and my dad and Bolland, who um, sits next to us as well, but isn't isn't there too often, have, have got really cracking seats, like on the end of the row in the corner. Um, 
and we're always me and my dad at least always run down the stairs to celebrate the bottom of my score which is fucking brilliant like I, the joy of like sprinting down the stairs whilst like jumping and shouting and punching and celebrating is, is class um, so not that many people did after the first goal because it was just like a get in away lads like second goal all the kind of usual suspects around us that, that run down the stairs all ran down the stairs and celebrated at the bottom which which is was fucking mint and then the third goal the usual suspects ran down the stairs celebrating going nuts and then I just like happened to glance back up the stairs like in the middle of like hugging a stranger and like kicking the wall celebrating um, and there was just like a horde of people running down the stairs to celebrate it was like probably quite dangerous but it was fucking class and it just showed you how, how absolutely buzzing everyone was and like people were hugging strangers like kissing their wives and like rubbing kids on their heads that they didn't know <laughs> it was fucking class and it was one of those brilliant moments that only Newcastle United can provide for you in life Marvellous Yeah and I think for me Norman I think I've just got to borrow your season ticket more often because if this is how it is uh, when you're not there I'm sorry but I think needs must I know, Sorry mate it's, I feel really bad for you but you just can't come anymore <laughs> but the thing is, the thing is, I'm I'm obviously going to have to sacrifice my um, own personal um, desire to watch Newcastle United at home for the, the greater good, and I'm willing to do that because you know I'm a good person. Martyr, um, martyr. I'm a martyr, and I'll be at Bournemouth. I'll be at Bournemouth on Saturday, and it'll be fantastic. And um, we'll we'll end it there, gentlemen. Thank you very much. What I'd like to say is, listeners, thanks ever so much for listening. Hugely appreciated. Obviously, if you like what you hear and you're not a patron already, then please do check it out. I'm absolutely certain you'll enjoy what we offer. It is. Absolutely, Newcastle United heavy and it's good content, it really is. Um, put it this way if I wasn't part of True Faith, I'd be subscribing. I'll tell you that. Um, well, and you did, I, and you did. Or did I, you? I, I didn't, I, I, well, I used to listen to, I used to, listen to the podcast, um, but this was pre parent days. Yeah. Um, however, I would, I, would de- I would definitely have joined up had I not been part of True Faith, that's for sure. Um, anyways, everyone, again, thank you for listening. This has been the True Faith podcast. Newcastle United have defeated Everton 3 2. We're mid table, safely ensconced. Everything's going to be all right. How are the lads? Have you heard about the 2018 study that showed half of prenatal vitamins tested had unacceptable levels of heavy metals? No? Well, now you have. I'm Kat, mother of three and founder of Ritual, the company making traceability the new standard in the supplement industry. I remember staring at my prenatal vitamins and finding all these things I was trying to avoid high amounts of heavy metals, synthetic colorants, and unnecessary ingredients. So, at four months pregnant, I quit my job and started Ritual, because I believe that all women deserve to know what they're putting in their bodies and why. I'm so proud of our prenatal vitamin. The ingredients are 100% traceable, it's third-party tested for microbes and heavy metals, and recently received the Purity Award from the Clean Label Project. You see, we trace like a mother because, let's be honest, no one cares quite like a mother. But don't just take my word for it. Trace for yourself with 25% off at ritual.com slash prenatal.